Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As I was studying this passage and reading Paul's heart through uh, to sorry, the church in uh, Thessalonica, I, I just imagine him with a big heart. You read this book and you can see Paul's tender shepherd heart for his people. And we're going to look at chapter 2, which is all of a description of really the testimony of him and his team, which is going to be our outline. Number one is the testimony of the team or the team's testimony. That's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And he has a big heart for the church. And then we're going to look at the church's testimony, so the Thessalonians' testimony. And then we're going to see at the end of chapter 2, as we study together, that there's a team trial that we'll see a phrase that Satan hindered them. And we'll talk about that before we go into our separate groups. So as we read the word together... I'll read it, and then I'll add in some commentary. The goal is to get through all 20 verses in about 25 minutes. So, buckle up. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read the first 12 verses, which is the team's testimony, and then I'll share another quick word of prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren... That our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But we have, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as, nursing, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." Lord, we had just read your word, and we're going to continue to read your word. We pray that as we look at Paul and his team, their testimony, and in chapter 2, that you would search our hearts, convict us, challenge us, transform us into Christ's likeness. Lord, it's you by the Holy Spirit who is the great disciple maker, so would you make disciples out of us? Would you transform us from one degree of glory to the next? We thank you for the authority of your word. Like Zach prayed, Lord, we submit ourselves under your authority tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Do you guys have in your life some spiritual mentors, some spiritual powerhouses in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, I have a couple. My dad is one of them. He brought us up in the fear of the Lord. He's a man who I can say he's just all in. And even when uh, he, he faces setbacks in ministry, there's something about him that he just keeps on going. And I said, Dad, how do you do that? And he says, you can't stop a man who was called. 
My dad firmly believes he's called by the Lord to bless the local church, and right now he's a pastor in a small Filipino church in Temecula. He's one of the guys who is a spiritual, like a, <clears throat> just a giant in my life. Next is uh, my good friend Rod Thompson, who has been a missionary in Eastern Europe for years. And when I worked at the Bible college and lived there, he took me under his wing. I had free access to his refrigerator, which while well, the staff housing was a treasure, right? You can just go in there, get a Capri Sun or a Gatorade or granola bar, whatever, and walk out. And then we would have a spiritual conversation. And then, um, you know, even Rob here, uh, it's such a blessing when he takes Tyler and I out to lunch and we get to pick his brain and we get to be encouraged uh, in his stories of how he's just seen the Lord be so faithful in his life and ministry. Well, Paul is a spiritual powerhouse to the church in Thessalonica. Him and his team, which consisted of himself, Silas, and Timothy, they were only there, uh, according to Acts chapter 17, for three weeks, but their hearts were for the people. They were with the people. And we see here, as they kind of retell the story about how they met, their team's testimony was that of honor and holiness. And if you can encapsulate it into one thing, it was servant leadership to the glory of God. Servant leadership to the glory of God. Paul, Silas, Timothy, their team had a reputation. Their testimony was, they, hey, to you, church, we were servant leaders to the glory of God. So we're going to look at this testimony in detail and kind of add comments here and there. But Paul and his team spoke the gospel in sincerity uh, and even through much suffering. According to verses 1, 2, and 3, they spoke the gospel in sincerity and even though they suffered a while. Now, their suffering is in regards to Acts chapter 16. Are you guys familiar with the story Acts chapter 16? Okay, in Acts chapter 16, I'm just going to give you a brief condensed version of it. Paul is sent out with Silas, and there they meet Timothy. Timothy would be then his son in the faith, but that's where they meet together, Acts chapter 16. Through the Holy Spirit navigating them, they end up in Macedonia, and they meet this lady named Lydia, who's a seller of purple, and she's there praying, and, and she begs them to stay, and, and the, they start praying together. And as they were staying with Lydia, there was this girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination, Luke records. And she was taunting Paul and Silas, and Paul rebukes that spirit. And uh, the owner of this girl who was making much profit, he, he reports them, and then Paul and Silas are unjustly put into prison, and they're beaten with rods. And it's a cool testimony because in Acts chapter 16, at midnight, Luke records, they were praying and singing hymns so that all the people in jail would hear. And then there was a big earthquake, so big, in fact, that the, the jail was broken, the, their chains were loosed, and the Philippian jailer who was in charge of overseeing them, he was about to take his life because that was going to be his penalty anyways for letting these prisoners escape. But Paul cries out, hey, we're all here, don't harm yourself. And the Philippian jailer comes to Paul and he bows down and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul preaches the gospel and it says that the Philippian jailer and his household were saved. And then uh, they move on, the Holy Spirit moves them on to Thessalonica, where they are there for only three Sabbath days. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 9 for us. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Because this is the, the beginning of the church that Paul is referring to. The church that he would become a spiritual giant to. A church that he would love with all of his heart. Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9. 
Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went to them and for three Sabbaths, or so for three weeks, reasoned with them from the scriptures and explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ or is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, so these are not Jews, but the Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So this is a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles. Verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. So the implication was Jason was holding this house church. Uh, they attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out into the people, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security or a deposit or uh, some, some money from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And, and so they escaped narrowly through um, the church, and then they're sent to Berea. So they, Paul and his team, they were only there for three weeks, but a church was started there. And people were believing, and they were only there for three weeks, but Paul writes this letter that his heart is for them. Look at the testimony of how much he cared for this church. Not only did he speak the gospel in sincerity to them, even through much suffering, um, Paul articulates in verse 4 that they were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, and they shared it not as pleasing men, but God who tests their hearts. I love the heart of Paul and his team. They're, they're, they're just going to, I'm just going to give the gospel and see what happens. And, and I love that simplicity because right now, and rightly so, there's strategy in church planting. You know, oftentimes you'll go and scout out and do a demographic of like, who's there? What are the hobbies? What are the strongholds? And, and you pray. But Paul, he, he only had three weeks there. He's like, I'm just going to unleash the gospel and see what happens. And, and the gospel, like I read, it doesn't need our help. The gospel is the, 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 the power of God unto salvation, he would write in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is, is what transforms a sinner into a saint. He says, I'm just going to unleash the gospel. And he did it in sincerity. He's just going to give the simple gospel and see what God would do with it. And notice in verses 5 to 6, he didn't use manipulative speech. He's like, I didn't use flattering words. He's not trying to pull on heartstrings or to use manipulative speech in sharing the gospel. And they didn't seek glory from men. Paul wasn't preaching the gospel in order to be praised. He was preaching the gospel so that God would be praised. This is a testimony of him and his team. They're like really good tour guides, right? A tour guide leads you to something beautiful and then gets out of the way so you can admire it. That's what Paul does with the gospel in Jesus Christ. He says, hey, people, here is Jesus I'm going to get out of the way. Look at him. And that's what he does. And when people meet Jesus, everything changes. So Paul simply preached the gospel. And he didn't do it in a way that was flattering so that he would receive praise, but he shared it in a way so that people would give praise unto the Lord. 
Now, I use the word gospel quite a lot, and I want to kind of break this down for us because I know gospel could be a word that we're really familiar with, but sometimes can get lost in translation. When Paul writes the gospel or refers to the gospel, he's talking about the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. In Paul's own words, he articulates the gospel for us. And it's important for us as ambassadors of Jesus, the New Testament would call us, and representatives of the gospel who are also entrusted with the gospel to know what message we should be sharing with the world. So here's the gospel according to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, so here's the gospel, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, uh, again the third day according to the scriptures, and he goes on, and he was seen by many witnesses. This is the gospel. Real quick, if you're wondering, hey, what's the gospel? How do I share the gospel? Boil it down to these three points right here. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This was always God's heart, that he would make a way according to the scriptures. He would die. Not that he would just stay dead, but he would be buried and that he would conquer the death or he would conquer the, uh, the grave. He would rise again, thus validating his claims, right, of deity, of he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when Paul writes, I shared to you the gospel in simplicity, he's just bringing them to the truth that Jesus died for you, for love's sake. You are loved by God. So much that God would die for you. And guess what? He didn't just die for you. He resurrected for you as well, to the glory of God, that if you put your faith in him, you are saved. He would write in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from that, you will be saved and whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel is simple. Again, all Paul had to do was release it and share it. And this whole church was born. I love this. So we continue in the team's testimony, him and his team. They didn't use manipulative speech. They just shared the simple gospel. And notice that they didn't abuse their power or authority. Look at verse 7 again. Though they could have made demands because they were the powerhouses, the spiritual powerhouses, they didn't use that power or authority to make demands, but they used their authority to share the gospel and their lives. Where did they get that heart? That's the heart of Jesus right there, right? Where, where Jesus, who had all the power, said of himself, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So Paul and his team, they're really, I think, taking cues from the Holy Spirit. Their testimony is that they didn't abuse their power, but they used their authority to bless other people, and they shared their lives, which I love that koinonia, that fellowship there. It wasn't just, hey, just listen to what I have to say on a Sunday, but I'm going to give my life to you as well. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to spend some time with you. And I love that. When I think of the spiritual powerhouses of my life, well, my dad, he had to live with me, right? But Rob taking us out, Rod Thompson invited me into his home. There's something about, hey, they say one thing on the stage, but they actually live it out in the everyday life. And I just love that Paul also demonstrated that with his team. 
They shared it in simplicity to give glory to God, and they also shared their lives with the people. And notice the strong language he uses, verse 8. I was gentle. We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And so much affection for the church, and, and they took pleasure in sharing the gospel in their own lives because the church had become dear to them. Now, this is a beautiful thing because who is this referring to? It's Paul, who was once a persecutor of the church, right? Who had a hard heart. He, he, he was killing Christians. So for Luke to record that the church had become dear to Paul, what power the gospel has on a person's life to transform someone from a hard heart to someone who is so tender to people he had just met. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel? that it transforms us from one degree of glory to the other, that the, that the, the promise in Philippians 1.6 is that God who is faithful to call us, he will complete that good work until the day of Christ Jesus. So the gospel transforms us not only unto salvation, but unto sanctification every single day, that as the gospel is released in our life, it will have its perfect work in Paul and in me and in you. All we have to do is submit to the work of the gospel. So they became dear. The church had become dear to Paul and his team. And the team didn't want to become a burden to the church, so they also write, according to their testimony, our team labored night and day to take care of themselves, not to become a burden to the new believers as they preached the gospel. So they weren't doing this as a way of getting means. They were actually doing other side jobs to support themselves in order for them to be a blessing to the church. And so again, this is like the heart of Jesus where they're not trying to take, but they're always trying to give. Can I just encourage us as we want to be about the gospel, if we can take Paul and his team in their cues and understand that, yeah, it's not just what we say, it's also what we do. And it's to adopt the mentality like Rob always shares, one of our core values, core values we're blessed to be a blessing. And really that's not a hard thing to fulfill when we understand how much love that is lavished upon us according to the gospel, that freely I have received, freely I will give. So Paul is doing what he needs to do practically in order to not be a burden to the church so that he can just continue to preach the gospel. And the church witnessed their testimony too. He says, hey, God is witness and you saw this in us. I'm not just making this up. So the church witnessed this as well. And he says, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves in front of you, how we exhorted or we built up 10 and 11, how we built you up and comforted and charged the church just as a father does his own children. I love these familial terms that he is using. That's how much he loved us. We're family, he's saying. As a mother, I've cherished you. As a father, I've built you up. That's Paul's heart. And get this, this is the purpose of why he did that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, they did this. So that verse 11, or sorry, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Their testimony of sharing the gospel in simplicity, not using flattering words, but just so that God would receive glory as a mother would, with affection, as a father building them up. They're doing this, yeah, one, because they acknowledge that they're entrusted with the gospel. This is their job. But also so that they, the Thessalonians, would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I want to unpack that real quick. What would it look like to work worthy of God, to walk worthy of God? You can do a study in Ephesians where you can walk in love, walk in wisdom, 
walk in circumspect, you know, walk circumspectly. That would, that's what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. It just means of a life that is walking in holiness. A, a life that says, Lord, I want to love you with every single part of my being. This is what it means to walk worthy of the gospel. That every single part of my life is a platform or a worship song that gives glory to God. That's what it means to walk worthy of the gospel. But it's to walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. He's reminding the Thessalonians, you don't belong to the kingdom of earth. You belong to a coming kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And to walk worthy of God's kingdom is totally different from the world's standards. And just like the Thessalonians, they were called to a different kingdom. So too, we, Calvary Vista believers, were called to a higher kingdom with different standards And our royal law of love needs to govern our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength as we respond to the gospel. Amen? Amen. So we continue on. This is their testimony. Man, what a beautiful testimony that they could say, I'm just going to give my all because God gave his all for me. And again, you can encapsulate their testimony in this loving servant leadership for God's glory. Loving servant leadership for God's glory. Their character and testimony didn't pollute or discredit their message. It enforced it. And not that the gospel needs our help, but effective and godly witness allows the gospel to go further, I believe, than when it's hidden or craftily handled in deceit. So that was their testimony. Let's look at quickly the Thessalonians testimony, verses 13 to 16. Read with me here. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Man, Paul and his team, they love to pray. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So the Thessalonians, their testimony was that when Paul, Silas, and Timothy came and preached the gospel, they welcomed that word as the word of truth, as the word of God. The Thessalonians exercised this childlike faith and responded, no doubt, to the Holy Spirit's conviction by receiving the word of God as truth. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit was probably going before them, directing their steps, the team's steps, and so much so that as Paul and the team showed up, man, there were people that were ready. And it just brings to mind what Jesus was saying about the harvest. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. I wonder if Paul's uh, looking at this like, whoa, you know, this is just perfect timing. And I wish there was more people to share with you more because I only have three weeks, right? But they welcomed it as the word of God. There was a simple childlike faith. And there's something to be said about that. Because the gospel or the word that they were bringing is the same gospel that we need to receive by a childlike faith. And this is something that sometimes we have trouble with. We understand, okay, God loves me. But are we receiving that truth in childlike faith? Do we really walk in that truth that God loves me? It's easier for me to say that God loves you, but it's hard to look at my life sometimes and say, God loves me? And maybe it's because I, we, we know our own insecurities, our shortcomings, but the truth of the gospel, take it by childlike faith that God loves you no matter what. 
God loves you without condition. The, the gospel goes on that he died, thus giving forgiveness of sins. Are we accepting for ourselves that I am forgiven? Sometimes it's easy for us, yeah, I forgive them, but I don't forgive myself. Or I'm not receiving God's forgiveness for myself. I'm walking under condemnation and guilt. If I really received the gospel with childlike faith, I would just say, yes, I am forgiven. And I receive that forgiveness. I want to walk in that forgiveness, which would help me to freely give that forgiveness to other people. And then the gospel also says that this is not the end kingdom. This is not the end goal. The end goal is, is, is to come. The best is yet to come. And so am I really believing or, uh, that the best is yet to come, or am I building up treasures for myself here on earth? Am I trying to put roots down here and trying to manipulate my way so that I can build my own kingdom here when I believe, I should believe, with childlike faith that the, the best is yet to come, that God's kingdom is the kingdom that matters? So the Thessalonians, they received the gospel as the word of God, as it is in truth, and this is in gospel for us. May we preach the gospel to ourselves and not become callous to it, but walk in the truths of the gospel. And the church also experienced sufferings, just like the other believers in Judea were experiencing. And the implication is this. They had a childlike faith, but it was a strong faith. They were immovable. They were experiencing the same persecution as the other church, and Paul's applauding them that they weren't losing heart or they weren't giving up. So it wasn't just like, I believe, but I don't care. And it was, I believe, and I'm going to stand. And whatever may come my way, that's okay, because the best is yet to come. That's kind of the mentality the Thessalonians had. And for this reason, Paul and his team says, we, we can't stop thanking God. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, he says, you received it as, as the word of God in truth. Man, what a beautiful testimony that the Thessalonians had, that the Holy Spirit, no doubt, was preparing their hearts, making it sensitive so that the truth of the gospel would come and permeate their hearts and they would receive it and stand in it, even amidst the hardship and persecution. Now, I come from a family that supports us walking in the gospel. You know, we, I, I come from a family who was okay with us not going to college because we wanted to go to Bible college and learn about the word of God. And so we were championed in that. But the Thessalonians, they were losing loved ones and people that they were close to, they were, they were persecuting them. And that could have swayed, I, I, can, I think it, it can sway even the most devout Christians. But the Thessalonians had a testimony that even if I'm being persecuted, then I'm going to hold fast this gospel because it is, it is the word of truth. And they counted the cost. And, and their testimony is such an encouragement to me that even though they were three weeks old in the Lord, they were strong, they were sturdy, they were steadfast. And not because of them, but because the Lord, I believe. They were responding to the Lord's love, and the Lord was sustaining them. Okay, we talked about the team's testimony, the Thessalonians' testimony. Quickly, the team's trials, verses 17 to 20. Read with me 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see, you f to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming, for you are our glory and joy. So we see that 
Satan had hindered Paul and the team from coming to the church. Though their hearts were with them, they weren't there physically. Satan, in some way, had hindered them. Now, I wish there was a little bit more text to support how did Satan hinder? Was it through the weather? Was it through a broken relationship? Was it through, I don't know. It just says that Satan hindered them from seeing the church face to face. Which kind of leaves it broad enough for us to apply it in our life and to understand that there is a real, to remind us that there is a real enemy who hates the advancement of the gospel. The fact that Satan hindered Paul and his team from rejoining the, the, the Thessalonians also tells me that Satan hates when we gather together, when we have fellowship with one another. Satan has a game plan, a strategy to keep maybe uh, the mature believers from being with the immature -er believers so that they would be built up, and so he hinders them. But also, I kind of struggle with this because, God, this church is so small, yet Satan hindered. How come you didn't do something? And when we come to passages like this, like, God, you're allowing this warfare, but still you want the gospel to go out. Why do you have to make it hard? (laughs) And I, and I think it, there's, is, and the manifold wisdom of God is mind-blowing, but I think a couple of things. Number one, in the warfare, man, we press in more into the Lord. Isn't that correct? It makes us more dependent. It, it, it helps us to remain pliable and sensitive to the Spirit. But also, I think that the warfare in God's manifold wisdom helps build resilience even in the Thessalonians. Like if maybe in God's wisdom, if Paul had been with them and, and, and was with them so much that they would have been too comfortable, I don't know. God knows and God allows. There's a part of spiritual warfare that I understand it, but I, I don't understand it. And I have to trust the Lord that he's in control and sovereign over all things. Like, okay, God, if you're going to allow this warfare, I know that you're going to sustain and you're going to sanctify and you're going to save and work out all things for your glory. But Question for us, many things happen in our life. How do we know that it's spiritual warfare? Paul had insight that this was Satan hindering. And maybe we can find some clues as to when it's actually spiritual warfare versus I'm just reaping the consequences of my own bad decisions, right? Because that's true, right? The, the spiritual formula in Galatians chapter 6, you reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. That's not Satan. That's the consequences of your own sin. So what are some clues? I think number one, the clue that we can tell that it is spiritual warfare is when we are being obedient to all of God's commands. Man, Paul and his team, they were being obedient to God's commands and preaching the gospel. They were being led by the Spirit. They were unleashing the gospel. So they were about God's business. So there was no room, according to their testimony, of them being in sin or indulging in the flesh. Okay, so number two, how do we know it might be spiritual warfare? When we pray and something happens. When we pray and something happens. We see in scripture that when Daniel, I'm bridging so many things in, but Daniel, um, in the book of Daniel, there was Michael the archangel that was coming to aid him, but there was a battle, right? Satan had hindered Michael the archangel. And, And Daniel, as he prayed, his prayers helped Michael the archangel overcome Satan in that story. And there's a spiritual kind of understanding that as we pray and address these spiritual warfare issues in prayer, God works. And it's, no, um, it's not a surprise that when we pray and God delivers, okay, yeah, that was actually spiritual warfare. In any case, you should always be praying. 
One for forgiveness, if that's been you kind of indulging into sin, Lord, I for, you know, I'm learning my lesson, forgive me and I'm going to repent. But even if you're walking in sincerity and truth, Lord, I need you and I need you to fight for me. The, the, the antidote is the same, just pray. So whether it's a bad attitude or, sorry, a bad action that you're reaping the consequences for, or it is actually Satan, pray. Pray, pray, and pray. And then also trust, trust, and trust. Because Paul, he wanted to come. He wanted to see that church, but he was hindered over and over and over again. And I'm not going to say that Paul's prayers were ineffective. It's just that we need to trust that God knows what to do. And in Paul's resilience, because he can't see them, he'll write them a letter. And we benefit from this letter that is to the Thessalonians. So I'm wondering if that's also in God's manifold wisdom as to why Paul couldn't see them face to face. Because he knew that in the opposition, this letter would be birthed to give us a hope and some insight into the word of God. So the manifold wisdom of God, I don't know, man. I just pray, 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 trust, trust, trust. Okay. Paul and his team, lastly, their affection and love for the church helped them navigate through this trial. Look at what, they say, what he says. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So though Paul and his team could not see the church again, they had assurance that they would see each other in the presence of the Lord at his coming. And that was Paul's affection. I just love these guys so much that I'm going to write them a letter. Even though I can't see them, I love them so much, man. And I want to see them in the presence of the Lord together. So I'm going to write them this letter that they would know that I'm thinking of them. And in chapter 4 and 5, they're going to get, he's going to get real practical on how, what it looks like to kind of wait for the Lord and, and to wait for us coming and that holy lifestyle. But what a beautiful assurance we have as believers, just like Paul and the Thessalonians, that we will all be united on that day in the presence of the Lord. Man. I can't wait to see when we see Jesus face to face how everything works together for good. But I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to. But also seeing the people that have gone before who have passed through. What a beautiful thing, man, that they're with the Lord. And we get to be with the Lord one day. What sweet communion that's going to be. So Paul had sweet affection for the church. His testimony was that of loving servant leadership. The, the church had a really sweet witness that they received the word of God in sincerity and truth as well as childlike faith. And so a couple of application questions for us to kind of lead you into your circle group time. Number one, we saw that the team was entrusted with the gospel. We too, believers, you and I, are also entrusted with the gospel, how might we better share the gospel with those that we know? What is our motives in sharing the gospel? What is our motives in bringing people to church? What's our character like as we go about being entrusted with the gospel? We saw that the Thessalonians in their testimony, they received the word of God with childlike faith. How are you receiving the word of God? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here on a Wednesday night after a long day of work, praise God. But sometimes we can get so callous that this is just what I do, that it almost becomes second nature in a bad way. Man, may we never forget that this is the word of God. This is the gospel that transforms our life. It's, it's the word of God that is, is perfecting in us Christ-likeness and holiness. So how am I receiving the word of God? How are you receiving the word of God when no one's looking? We can say yes and amen in the congregation, but when we're at home, we're like, "Ah, I'll get to it later, right? So how are we receiving the word of God at home? And then the team's trials. They They were hindered by Satan. 
how might we better prepare for the oncoming attacks from the evil one as we continue to walk with the Lord? I hope and pray that we, like Paul and his team, we have that same motive to bring the gospel to to whoever and everyone the Lord and the Holy Spirit is leading us to. But how might we better prepare for the oncoming attacks that will come from the evil one as we continue to share the gospel? (sighs) Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this chapter how we get to see Paul and his team, Lord, just regular men that you would use to bring the gospel to people that you love. I pray that in our circles, you would give us wisdom, practical understanding and application to not only just be hearers, but doers of the word as well. Would you encourage our hearts? Would our fellowship be sweet? And would you perfect in us Christ's likeness for your glory? We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask for a blessing upon our groups. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.